Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you all a game preview of the Thunder Denver Nuggets game and just some people you need to be looking out for in that one, as well as discussing Kevin Porter Jr. So, just going right into the game preview. We're going to be matched up against the Denver Nuggets at 8 p.m. tonight. We're going to be in Denver, so I guess due to, like, mountain time or whatever, that's why we're playing at 8. I don't remember, like, a single time that we played this late this year. Maybe I'm just losing it. I'm not sure, though. It seems like a pretty late game. Anyways, we're facing off on them. We're 6-6. Six and six. They are 6-7, six and seven, so we're kind of in this same ordeal where... We're kind of fighting for positioning in this one. I know whenever we played the Spurs a couple games back, whenever they beat us, they actually hopscotched us in the rankings. Like, they just leaped right over us. Same thing here. If we lose, we slide down a spot. They move up. If we uh, if we manage to win this one, Denver's dropping down. We are staying up or potentially rising, depending on how some of these other Western Conference teams do in their games. But, yeah. So, we are going to be matched up against them and this is going to be exciting honestly i'm a little bit upset that we were not able to get our game against the 76ers on sunday but it's completely cool because the denver nuggets have a really really good lineup but before i talk about their lineup i just want to go over some of the pieces that are going to be gone for both sides and for us usual suspects again you got ariza ty jerome out and then Al Horford is still gone for personal reasons, but now we know what happened. So he is out because he has just had a kid. Uh, I don't know how much longer he's going to be out, but yeah, doesn't really matter. Just take his time off, man. Everyone's wishing you well, so cannot wait to see you back and hope that everybody in your family is safe. So yeah, he's gone. And then for the Nuggets, they have Michael Porter Jr. gone. Seems like he always has some little injury bugs going on. And then they also have Greg Whittington gone, which really, really helps us out in this one. I know if he was playing, it would be a lot of issues for us. I don't know how we would stop him. But yeah, so they're out, those two are out, and then we have our three guys. And for the Nuggets, I mean, they still have a lot of very, very good players going for them right now. I mean, sure, Michael Porter Jr. is gone, but they still have a lot of depth at really all positions. They have Will Barton able to just come in and fill that small forward role, which he will have no issues with, and then they can still patch up the backup spot. That's how deck they are, but they still have a lot of firepower, and it all goes to Nikola Jokic, and this man is averaging 25 points, 11.4 boards, and 10.3 assists, and I believe I read something um, a couple days ago, I think his averages of 25, 11, and 10, the only other pe- person who has had that so far in their career has been Wilt Chamberlain. So the fact that Nikola Jokic is pulling off this large of a feat right now is just speaking volumes to how well you know he, he has been for them. And I think if there was you know an MVP race, Right now, if you were picking who was winning, it'd probably be Nikola Jokic, unless you're basing it off of, you know, wins and losses. If you're just evaluating it by a stat line, Nikola Jokic takes it easily. We have not seen a center being able to pass the ball like he has. But yeah, so 
Very exciting for him, but we need to be able to shut him down, and we don't have Al Horford, so we're going to have a lot of different guys on him. He's kind of been used in different ways throughout the year. I mean, he kind of is like an offensive initiator. Like, every play, you'll just see him pulling, like, the Steven Adams moves where he's, like, at the free throw line just chilling, waiting for the offense to happen. You'll see a ton of backdoor cuts, off-ball screens to free people up. If he doesn't see anything, that's when he'll go into attack mode. And, you know, obviously backdoor cuts will be successful and just a lot of movement will help them. But in this one, Jokic possesses that ability to just go inside. I mean, believe it or not, this dude is really, really strong. I know looking at him, he doesn't look like the strongest guy out there. Just like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but this guy is strong. So on a dude like Isaiah Roby, maybe he'll be able to find his way through there and get some easy buckets. If we're just breaking down like his last game, he's playing against the Utah Jazz, right? He's dropping 35 points, 14 boards, in nine rebounds, and this is on Rudy Gobert himself. So just giving that little thought for you all. I will say, though, Isaiah Roby is 10 times faster than Rudy Gobert is. So getting out on Jokic to the perimeter should be, you know, it should be fairly easy. Just kind of whenever you go into him setting like high pick and rolls or him just working inside, that's when it becomes a different ball game. So it'll be a good test for Roby. And I think it's going to be a good test for all of us because Jokic, he's just not, he's not a one-man show. He's not a guy who does stuff that only really impacts his stat line. I just told you, he's getting like 10 assists a game. He's incorporating everyone in the offense and he is their main dude. So all their points are really coming off of Jokic right now. So if we're able to shut him down and kind of close off the passing lanes to prevent any sort of, you know, easy buckets... We should be in good shape, and it's going to have to come down to Jokic wanting to take Roby one-on-one inside, and we'll live with the results. Roby has stood his ground against some of the best of the best. Sure, he's coughed up, you know, spurts to certain players here and there, but that just kind of comes with him developing. He's 22 years old. He's only like 230 pounds going against people who are 50 pounds heavier than him, like Jokic. He is, he's 284 pounds, so he has a big test there, and if Jokic is able to drop you know, 20 points just off of layups, so be it. You live with the result, and we just want to see Roby get more experience on some of the best of the best in the league, and Jokic is the best center in the NBA, so you can't ask for much better of a test for him. I think moving on, though, you still got to talk about Jamal Murray. Has he cooled down a bit from the bubble absolutely he's not averaging like however much he was averaging in the bubble this is going off he's only averaging 20 points four boards and four assists right now so he's not the same oh well, he is the same player it's just he's not putting that same impact on the statute he's not taking games over but you can't just you know think oh he's only averaging 20 he's not going to be able to just be the offensive guy no he has those times where he will just take you every single play. He'll take you one-on-one and just drill it three in your face. And he'll have those moments. We need to prevent those moments. I want to say, like, I feel like early on in Murray's career, he always would just go off against us. I was trying to, like, cherry-pick stats almost of how he's performed against the Thunder in the past couple years. But 
We actually only played the Nuggets twice last year due to COVID. So the numbers that I was pulling on Murray really didn't matter that much to me. So I honestly couldn't tell you what he was averaging against us last year. But what I can tell you is he just came off a 30-piece, and he shot 11 for 27. Kind of took that big step up in the offense for them there. And we don't want that to happen, you know. We don't want him dropping 30 points because you got Jokic who has kind of consistently shown that he can dominate. I mean, hell, you know, those two guys combined for 65 of their 105 points. So if we are able to stop Murray and Jokic, it's perfect. But we need to stop. We need to look at this as like one player at a time, if you know what I'm saying. And Murray is that straight shot creator. We're going to have Shea Gilgis Alexander on him. So will be a tough matchup for the both of them. I think... They both are very, very good at their positions. And Murray has those times where he goes off. SGA, as we have seen throughout the course this year, has been going off too. And the way it's looked for SGA, it's been like gradual improvement really everywhere. With Murray, it's a bit of up and downs, but you never really know know like what the role is with some of these Denver guys. It just all depends on the situations, who they're playing against. With Jokic kind of running the point guard position damn near at times, it results in some funky stat lines for different people. So they have a lot of different dudes who can chip in points for them, and we'll see that. So I can be telling you Jamal Murray is a guy we need to worry about. He may drop five points, and they may have their 15th dude on the roster dropping 30. You know what I mean? So just a lot of a lot of different pieces and ways they can go with this game just to kind of think about it. And I think one of those dudes is going to be Will Barton, and Will Barton, this is one of the stats I wanted to cherry pick, in his two games last year, he had 16 points and 18 points, and I've never really thought of Barton as a dude who was putting up that, you know, big of numbers, if you want to say 17's a lot, my opinion, I think 17 for Barton is a solid amount, but yeah, I mean, he's able to consistently score, he has a lot of those ups and downs in the year, but when he's on it, he's on it, and it seems like he's always been on it, whenever he's facing us. He's averaging 11.3 a game right now, 4.3 boards and 2.9 assists. And it's really just been like sporadic playing time for him. And with Michael Porter Jr. gone, it's going to open up a lot of minutes at the three. And you already know Will Barton's taking full advantage of that. Like he is close to, I think, a starting level player at the position, if not like indefinitely. He's just a very, very good backup. And you could probably throw him in at the starting unit and he'll do just fine. You know, with the minutes going up and down, the main game that I wanted to talk about with him was actually on last Tuesday. So he played against the Brooklyn Nets. He had to play 38 minutes, but he dropped 22 points on 8 of 14 shooting. And then he followed that up on Thursday against the Warriors. 32 minutes, 17 points on 6 of 15. And this Utah one, though, he was, like, not a factor at all. In 26 minutes, he was 1 of 6 from the field and only had 2 points. So you don't know what version of Will Barton you're getting every game, but you can't. You have to expect the unexpected. And Lou Dort likely will be on Will Barton unless they want to swap the lineups around to where, you know, Lou Dort moves down to the shooting guard spot and wants to guard, like, Gary Harris or something. I think Gary Harris... Is kind of in the same boat as Will Barton where they can go off. But yeah, 
I think whoever out of Harris and Barton, whoever Dort is not covering, they're probably more likely to go off. I'm just thinking that you do need to think of Will Barton when you're thinking of people who can who can really ball out in tonight's matchup. But for the Thunder, look, you got to start with Isaiah Roby, and you circle this one all over the place. You put it in bold, highlight the thing. I don't care. The key player in this one is Isaiah Roby, and it's probably not even that close. I told you, he's pretty much facing the MVP of the league as of this point. Jokic is not your typical center. I don't even... I can't even remember a center who, who's been playing like this guy, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. He's been able to shoot it, he's been able to get inside, and he's been able to pass the ball like a wizard. So Roby, I completely trust him. Like, guarding fours, fives, whatever, I think he can go toe-to-toe with them physically. It's always just comes back to height and stuff. But he's never really been thrown in a role where he has been guarding like a primary ball handler almost. And I feel like... Almost every center could say that, but really with Roby, pretty much this is his rookie year. Like, he played maybe three games last season, and outside of that, just like in the training camp, I don't even think he went to the bubble with us, so really his rookie year. He's been thrown into all these different situations, and this is the biggest one thus far in his career. If he's able to make the most out of this opportunity and stand his ground against Nikola Jokic, you're going to see every single big media outlet praising the crap out of Isaiah Roby and thinking, how did this guy get picked number 45 in the draft? How did the Dallas Mavericks give him away for Justin Patton? Who I don't, They don't even have him anymore. There's a lot of different you know, things that could go on if Roby balls out. And Roby, been the biggest pleasant surprise of the year so far. Nine points, five boards, and an assist, doing everything. And if you're looking at the defense, it's it's kind of the exact same thing. And he's not putting up like four blocks or whatever, but the amount of contests he's been getting around the rim, it may be higher than Al Horford. He may have the highest shot contests in the on the entire team. And I wouldn't even be surprised. And he's playing limited minutes too. It's not like he's playing 30-plus every single game. He will be in this one though. And he has had a lot of time to rest on this one. I mean, we've had a 72-hour gap since we played. We had a scrimmage, but which was really awesome, by the way. But it's not that in-game experience. And it's just going to be a fun one, just seeing Romy and Jokic go toe-to-toe. If Roby's able to assert himself from downtown and get Jokic out to the perimeter, that's when we will see a lot of unique stuff going on with the offense in tonight's game because Jokic he's not really that fast if he needs to be stepping up on Roby which in all honesty I don't think he will even if he is hitting because of how slow he is but yeah if there's ever a time where Roby gets the hot hand from downtown it's going to be a big big issue for the Denver Nuggets so look at him big time I think the next player I want to talk about is Hamadou Diallo and Diallo has not really I mean, he's been very, very solid, don't get me wrong, and he's one of those other big surprises. It's just, he's kind of relapsed to having one of those down games. Don't think of it, you know, don't dwell on that too bad. I think Diallo's going to figure it out. It just kind of comes with him trying to drive inside 20 times a game. Sometimes it's going to be there, sometimes it is not. And, and um, 
The Nuggets actually have a really, really good backup shooting guard, and it's an ex-Thunder player, actually. It's PJ Dozier. He's six foot six, two ten, really, really long arms. He is a great defender, like inside, outside, whatever. He is a tougher matchup than Diallo is probably accustomed to. And he's been matching up against um, some pretty tough defenders in all due respect to Diallo. Like, give him some credit here. He had to face Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson in that Spurs game. And he still notched up, like, what was it, 16 points against them? And then, yeah, teams like Brooklyn and New York, he's dropping 20-plus or whatever. So he's he always just has those moments where he's able to shine. And with Dozier... I think Dozier can limit Diallo, but if Diallo is able to get into the zone, I don't really know how the Nuggets are going to be able to combat him because if you have Will Barton moved up in the starting lineup, you're really just looking around for replacements. And I think a a rotational lineup you could see actually is Campazzo, their European guard they just signed. Him at the one, Monte Morris at the two, and Dozier at the three if things just aren't working out for them so you may see Monte Morris Dozier or hell you may even see times where he's up against Gary Harris if Diallo is able to have one of those successful nights where he gets inside and looks like one of the best finishers in the league because he totally is it's going to be a, a closer game than you know people want to believe I think people think that maybe we might be outmatching this one by no means if Diallo can go in and do his what he does best we should be in tip-top shape and then just to cap things off obviously SGA coming off a career game and Dort did too with those six steals but with SGA coming off a career high in points he's just topping it pretty much every couple of days at this point I mean he had 31 points on the 10th five days later he tops it with 33 could he go out here and drop a 35-piece? I don't know. I think there's a definite possibility because the way he has been able to drive in on defenders and just dominate has been very fun to watch. He shot 69% in the last game against the Chicago Bulls. And this wasn't coming off the mid-range or the three-ball. No, if you're shooting 69% from the field you're going to be going inside. So SGA, it was all about getting in and doing floaters, just flipping in layups. Kobe White was struggling to defend him on screens, and Jamal Murray's going to be thrown in with a flurry of screens by Isaiah Roby. If if SGA can break through the wall of Jokic and uh, Murray and Paul Millsap, if he's down there, he should be set to go off. And if it gets to a point where... The Nuggets just decide, you know what, we're never going to help on these screens. Let's just double SGA, Jokic, and Murray. Then SGA will have to go back to his passing skills, which he obviously has, and get the wide open Roby or whoever the center is, their shot. And if it's fallen, it's fallen. So Jokic is their main orchestrator on the offense. SGA is our main orchestrator. I want to see how he does as well as the choir around him. So moving on to the next story of this podcast, I'm going to be breaking down Kevin Porter Jr. 
just the whole situation going on with him, telling you a bit about him if you don't know him, and then if the Thunder should be going after him. Now, this was all over like the media yesterday. Kevin Porter Jr. is in a spot with the Cleveland Cavaliers where they are looking to trade him or just flat out wave the guy. And this is due to just a ton of altercations between him and the team or him and just stuff outside the workplace that have just built up, built up, built up to a breaking point. And they have kind of reached a final straw. Kevin Porter Jr., he's an absolute baller. He was a five-star recruit out of high school. A lot of people were looking towards him whenever he was playing for the USC Trojans uh, as a freshman, but it just wasn't working out. And this is actually where the issues started for him. Kevin Porter Jr. was suspended at USC for personal conduct issues, and his status with the team at one point was actually in jeopardy. They considered kicking him off. But they didn't, and Porter Jr. really never played a lot for the USC Trojans or did much at a high volume for them. Pretty much this is like, people were calling this a train wreck of a year for KPJ. But he had so much talent. This is a guy who is an athletic freak. He will be dunking all over everybody, 40-inch vertical. But he also can create shots at a high rate dribble at a high rate and pass at a high rate and even on defense this guy can block shots so he, he kind of had an all-around package and even though he didn't have the real resume from his freshman year in college he he still entered the draft and was regarded as a late round steal for anyone who wanted to take him and this was a person who even the tip-top draft analysts were saying this kid has lottery talent, top five talent, but he has some off-the-court issues that the team will have to address with him if they select him. And this was a guy that I actually wanted the Thunder to draft a couple of years ago. We ended up taking Baisley. I don't know why I said a couple years ago. It was literally last year, but whatever. We ended up taking Baisley. Worked out for us. And for the Cavs, it seemed like they got a pretty sweet deal too because they snagged Kevin Porter Jr. with the 29th selection. And it looked like a home run pick for them. He was putting up averages of 10 points, 3.2 rebounds on 23.2 minutes per game in his rookie campaign with the team. And as I mentioned, he's scoring from everywhere. He's driving in, he's shooting minis, he's pulling up from deep. Whatever you want him to do, he was able to do it at a high rate. And Cleveland Cavaliers fans genuinely believed that Kevin Porter Jr. was better than all the other guys in terms of potential, all the other guys they had on their team. And now with this year starting, like Garland's kind of emerged and all that, maybe the same statement would not hold true. But by the end of this year, like last year, I mean, after the bubble, people thought that Kevin Porter Jr. was destined for greatness and you can even go and look on like youtube or whatever and there's videos upon videos of people just saying the cleveland cavaliers are legit and what they have on that thumbnail they got kevin porter jr just plastered right there he's the main dude they want to talk about well he's not with them anymore and that is just due to all these off the court issues 
And this comes back even before, like, what has happened in these past weeks. It dates months and months back. Kevin Porter Jr. was accused of reportedly punching a woman in the face and ripping off her weave back in August. And this came from Cleveland.com. But, yeah, so those accusations never actually resulted in anything. So I don't want to go ahead and say that, oh, Kevin Porter Jr. punched a woman in the face and ripped her weave off. But... It is something you should keep in the back of your mind. Like, the charges were never pressed, but there are people just claiming it was true. And then moving on, there was another incident in November that, unlike the first, there was actually charges pressed to his name. And he crashed his car at 2 in the morning on the interstate, and he was possessing a handgun in his car, and then there was suspected marijuana in his vehicle so porter jr was arrested on multiple charges for this incident he's actually kind of given a little break there the charges were later dropped but the same sentiment still holds like he was getting in trouble off the court and when we're talking november this is like when you're trying to prep up for training camp and clearly that that was not what was going on and then, as The Athletic reported, the final straw for the Cleveland Cavaliers came over this past weekend. Porter Jr. got in a really, really heated exchange with their GM, Kobe Altman, and their head coach, J.B. Biggerstaff. What happened was, with the addition of Jared Allen and Terion Prince, you know, they got two guys coming in, the lockers may need to be rearranged a bit, and... Prince, he's, he's kind of a certified vet, you know, and I guess what goes on in the NBA locker rooms is it's kind of just a hierarchy system. Like whoever has been longest tenured gets to have the best lockers, I suppose. And the younger guys, their lockers are kind of pushed in the back corner. Well, Porter Jr. had a pretty good locker. He had to clean it out and he got pushed to this back corner, right? So Prince could fill in. Porter Jr. was really, really pissed off, and I guess it got to the point where he was throwing food around. Honestly, I don't know if this is like 100% true, but I was told that this guy was throwing food around at these guys and like screaming at the top of his lungs at them. They're not going to take to that too kindly, and I guess, you know, they just decided that, hey, he's not really helping out with the team culture too much. We know he has some skill, but we just can't really provide what he needs with the team so they kind of just decided then and there that they kind of wanted to part ways with him and jb bickerstaff addressed the media saying that we want and we i mean the Cavs organization we all want to see kevin be successful and i still feel that way so whatever it is that happens in the future for him hope nothing for the best for him so that statement right there kind of just gives you all you need Seems like they are just splitting in different directions. And he's on the trading block, and if he's not traded, he's just going to be waived. And for the Oklahoma City Thunder, this is a guy who I think we would be all over. I'm not sure if we looked at him in the drafting process last season, but this was a guy that checked all the boxes and what we wanted last year. You know, circumstances were a bit different when we were looking at the team, but one thing that stood true was we needed a shooting guard who could score 
And he's only 20 years old. He's able to shoot the lights out of the gym, get inside, just all around really skillful player. However, I mean, the Cavaliers, you know, they, they recognize Kevin Porter Jr.'s skill. That's not the reason he got cut. This is due to other stuff. So he's out here and he's available. In terms of skill, we should absolutely take him. But, you know, one of the values that the Thunder have had in the past and really just still have, they've prided themselves upon team culture since the inception of the franchise back in 2008. And even head coach Mark Dagnalt in our last game against the Chicago Bulls mentioned we're not trying to build a resilient culture, we're trying to maintain a resilient culture. So they're all about keeping the culture really healthy. And it seems like this team has been super duper gelled. Like there have not been really any issues, it seemed like, in the locker room. Seems like everybody's just harmonizing really well in this unit, and guys are just kind of swarming around Mark Dagnalt. So there's no issues around the team. This is exactly what you want in a rebuilding squad. We need players, especially these young guys, to be confident with our teammates, with their teammates, and just grow as a collective unit. And it sucks saying that, but you don't want to bring in a guy who has issues in the locker room and could potentially affect those around him because if he gets that bad mindset in all 15 of your guys, you're going to have people complaining about minutes, uh, their role on the team, how much they should be shooting, just petty stuff like that. It needs to be all about the team, and all of our guys on the roster are on the same page as it seems right now. And look, there's zero doubt that Porter Jr. can play basketball, but the deal is this. Sam Presti and the Thunder organization have to decide if Porter Jr. is worth a shot on the roster and if they can instill the same values into him as the other current and even alumni players that we've had with the team. I, I guarantee that Presti knows, and every executive and every everyone in the league knows Kevin Porter Jr., is very, very good. But look, if Kevin Porter Jr. did not have any off-the-court issues, this wouldn't even be a conversation. Kevin Porter Jr. would be playing big-time minutes for the Cavaliers right now. It's not about skill. It's about personality. And for the Thunder, I really don't want to chip in too much on my personal opinions on things. I just think they need to assess the situation and look at the benefits and potential cons to picking up Porter Jr. I think that he's a risky guy, but there's a lot of upside to this kid. So very interesting to see what goes on with Porter Jr.'s career in the next couple of weeks. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.